to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We have a tendency not to want to deal with the things in this world. When we look at this world the way it is, the violence. And while we're going to be looking at our text today, something very important to understand is what's the day of the Lord. We're going to come to a place that we're going to see who goes through the day of the Lord and who doesn't. I'm going to show a lot of verses today as we go through, a little more probably than I normally would in, in the setup because we need to have a greater understanding this day of the Lord. It should motivate us to tell others about Jesus Christ. Because I don't know if you have enemies or people you're angry with, but I'm going to say this. I don't want to see anybody go through the day of the Lord. The anger of the people at that time, the judgment of the Lord. We're going to understand, even in the midst of this day of the Lord, there is mercy and there is grace for those that call upon the name of the Lord. Let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for your precious word your precious heart. You tell us that salvation is, is really knowing you. It's not in the works we do, but it's knowing you personally, knowing what our future lies in your hands, knowing that we have favor with you and that you find no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. But you're a just God, a holy God, and a righteous judge. And you must judge sin. So Lord, in such a difficult text today, please speak to us. Speak to every heart. Stir us. Help us to understand, really, your intent in putting this in the Word that we might apply it to our lives. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's read our text together, and, and then we'll look at it in more detail. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. It begins in verse 1, Now as to the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they're saying peace and safety and then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with a child. And they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not of the darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are sons of the light and sons of the day and we're not of the night or the darkness so then... Let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, putting on that breastplate of faith and love as a helmet, a hope of salvation. For God has not destined us to wrath, but obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake 
or we're asleep. We will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're also doing. Like last week when we talked about the rapture, it it ended with those words, encourage one another. Encourage one another. That idea was that the, the dead in Christ, those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, will be caught up and we who are alive will be caught up and be with the Lord forever. And at the end of this text, we see kind of the same thing. Therefore, encourage one another. The church of Thessalonica needed encouragement because if they were watching the news, and just like we can watch the news, I need encouragement. Now, I know that we have a hope, a hope that the world doesn't have. That, that's true. There's no question about that. But man, it, does it look hopeless sometimes when you look at the news? I mean, man is just destroying himself around the world. He wants to encourage them. Not only will they be raptured, they'll be caught up, but we are not destined to wrath. Now, I'm not going to get into this exhaustively because we're going to deal with this when we get into 2 Thessalonians, when we get into Peter, when we go into the book of Revelation. So some things I'm going to kind of throw out a little bit, say a little bit, because we're going to be building precept on precept. There are people that are going to have different views of what I say. And without a lot of detail, there are those that are called all-millennialists or amillennialists who believe they're literally in a millennial kingdom right now and Satan is bound. What? When I look around, it doesn't seem like Satan is bound. And they have scripture that they can look at and agree with and justify their point of view. And all through church history, God has used these people to bring people into the kingdom even though you and I may not agree with them. Now let me say something. If someone has a different view in you, they're not the enemy. And you're not the enemy. Who is the enemy? Satan. Satan. He's like a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour, right? So recognize that people will have different views. And we're just going to be looking at the scripture. There's also... Uh, again, another post-millennial group. And they kind of believe the tribulation, some of them, we're in the tribulation right now, and they're trying to feel all these things out and try and find a way to justify it. And the, the tribulation that we're going to talk about this day of the Lord is part of it. And in the millennial kingdom, they all run together. But the common thing that those two have is oftentimes Israel is swept under the rug. And because they do not see that God deals with Israel one way and the church another way, they form their theology. In fact, that's what some people do, and I don't recommend it. When a person becomes a believer, I'm going to get a theology book, and they start reading theology don't read theology. Read the Bible. The Bible will reveal the theology. Theology just means a study of God. God will reveal himself. In fact, I think God loves to reveal himself to each one. 
And anyone who desires to see the glory of God, you pray it, you seek him with all your heart, you will find him and he will reveal himself to you. But when we approach the Bible with our preconceived ideas, I did once. I was way out of balance. Now today, my prayer is that all of us here will have perfect balance. But I know we're imperfect people, so none of us will have perfect balance. If there were a, a large step here, you would hope that I have perfect balance as I begin to hang off so I don't fall. Doctrinally, sometimes people do not have proper balance and they fall into this rut and they fall into that rut. Now the approach that I'm coming today is we just literally look at the word in a second, but so you understand, I teach dispensationally and premillennial. I know, what is all that about? And in the simplest form of that, you can read long lines and you know, heady thoughts. But God dealt with Noah, or excuse me, dealt with Adam and Eve differently than he deals with you and me. In that sense, they didn't have the law. Christ hadn't come. He met them where he at. How were they saved? By believing God. God dealt with Noah differently, that generation, because again, they didn't have the law. He had written on their hearts. They had this moral conscience. God dealt with them in that way, yes. But Christ hadn't come. He dealt with Israel differently because he had given the law. The law now, remember, has a purpose. It's a schoolmaster to bring people to Christ. That's important to understand. It's to bring people to Christ. The law, perfect in converting the soul. The law, reveal God. The moral, ten commandments, they're God's tender loving commandments. When it comes to us, the church, God deals with us differently because we're the bride of Christ. It never means that you and I have more favor. It just means he deals with us differently. He sees every believer who's born again justified. He sees you and me just as we've never sinned. But practically, if we're honest with one another, aren't we a bunch of stinkers? Sometimes my wife would say that. That might be mild. But we're still learning to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. For it's God who's in work in us to will and do his purpose. One more thing. One day the church is going to be taken out of here, raptured. This is what we're going to look at today. And God's going to deal with Israel again that final week that tribulation time. And to understand our text perfectly, we need to understand why is this in here? How would the people understood it at that time frame? We don't come to the Bible and say, oh, this is what it means to me. Because if I do that, I'm going to be out of balance. Well, the day of the Lord brings an outpouring of Yahweh's punishment. Punishment of Israel and Judah. It's, it's, it's a refining fire that God's going to, to bring them through. Temporarily, they've been blinded 
by the God of this world, just as the world is. But they've also been blinded because they cannot see the Messiah as a whole, as a nation. Because they rejected the Messiah. Jesus came to his own and they received him not. And that's important to understand. They chose not to believe. Matthew 12, you have blasphemy of the Spirit where the nation of Israel, the religious leaders, rejected their own Messiah. Again, he came to his own and they received him not. So this time is going to reign until the time of the Gentiles is full. The Gentiles are reigning still in Jerusalem today. But there's going to be a time when these things come together. Now, when I, when I use this word Yahweh, it's confusing to a, a lot of people. And, and, and sometimes you see it as capital. Y-H-W-H. Now, a simpler way for you to say it, and, and some people think God gets offended if he calls, you know, if you call him another name. And I don't think so. I've been called a lot of names and I'm not offended. Some are pretty bad ones, by the way. But God knows, and I love this, and I hope you love this too, God knows your heart. You ever say something really with a pure heart, but it didn't come out right? I think every one of us could hold up our hand. God knows that. The other people don't know it if you and I say that sometimes. But God knows that. He's a God of mercy and grace. Now, God's name was so holy to Israel at that time that they, they, they wouldn't pronounce it. In fact, they gave it another name, Jehovah. Jehovah. And you know, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord will send peace. Jehovah, since canoe, the Lord is my righteousness. God has revealed himself in the Old Testament to the people of Israel because they could not know him they, any more than you and I can know unless he revealed himself to you and me. And that's what we want is more of him and less of ourselves. In fact, it'll go on the screen, Exodus 34, 5 and 8. Moses wanted to see the glory of God. Anyone ever want to see the glory of God? You know, it's always been my prayer. God, I want to see your glory. Now, that can, can be in many ways. I'm not talking about signs and wonders, but Lord, I want to see your glory. Moses, that was his prayer. And let's look at here. Look in verse 5 on the screen. It says, the Lord, oh, stop there. Look at that. Lord is all caps. That's Yahweh. That's again Jehovah. But more significantly, what I want you to catch on, whenever you see those cap locks on those four letters that means he is a covenant god he's in a covenant relationship with the people of israel and that's important to understand so the lord descended in a cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the lord and then the lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed the lord the lord god now that word god is the word el if you would be in the book of Genesis in the beginning, God, Elohim, God in plural form. El, always God. So again, verse 6, Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God. 
compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by, and yet he will by no means leave guilty unpunished. Now I'm going to just stop there for a second. Notice how God revealed himself. He's not an angry God. Notice what it says. He's a compassionate God. He's gracious and slow to anger. I found all those things to true of God in my own relationship. Because like most of us here, bing, we've gone way out over here. We've gone out on a limb. We've rebelled against God. That's what sin is. And yet God has been patient, long-suffering, and bringing us back unto him. Now I'd like to go to Amos, Amos chapter 5, verse 18. Look on the screen again. Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, for what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? Notice it will be of darkness and not of light. When a man flees from a lion, the bear meets him. Or go home and leans his hand against the wall and the snake bites him. Will not the day of the Lord be a darkness instead of light? Even gloom with no brightness in it? See, this day of the Lord is such a horrible, terrible time. I want you to grasp it, that we see it for what it is, understand who it's intended for, and it will move us to reach out and tell others, our family, our friends, about what is ahead. The day of the Lord is also called the day of Yahweh in the Scripture. The covenant people who expect God to intervene and and defeat their enemies instead of staggering toward judgment. They're they're staggering, but they're, they're expecting, God, save us. They're in idolatry they've been. And God has been disciplining them, setting them aside. Now I want to stop here for a second. Ever since the time of Christ, God has been reaching into the nation of Israel, to the Jewish people, to the Hebrew people, wherever they are in the world, the diaspora, the dispersion, and bringing people to himself. In the 1800s, whole synagogues in Europe were getting saved. What we would call a revival. God is still faithful to reach out if there's anyone who will respond to him. This judgment is going against those, again, who are longing for the day of the Lord. He's saying that because of their actions he was talking about. They're in total rebellion to God, and and that was probably you and me before we came to the Lord. Were you just doing your own thing, living for yourself? It didn't matter about him. That was them. Again, the the day of the Lord is the day of Yahweh. And this is prompted because of their idolatry, as I mentioned, their pride and arrogance. And every one of us here struggle with pride and arrogance. But, But we know that we're in Christ. If we've been born again, we're in Christ. These chose not to honor him, chose not to revere him. They lacked social justice. Now, some ministries put social justice even before God, We put God, or we should put God first, and we see someone in need, we're there to make that need if it's possible. They need to come to Jesus. They need salvation. 
Social justice, when it's put first, means let's make them comfortable on their way going to hell and not tell them about Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is salvation. So let's tell them about Jesus. Let's love them. Let's minister to them and pray that they will respond to him. Now look in verse 1 in our text. Notice again the times and the seasons. It says in verse 1, Now as to the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. Now, I'd like you to pay attention as we go through to the, the phraseology, you, them, us. See, he's talking about two groups of believers. No, one group of believers and one group of unbelievers. One group of believers, one group of unbelievers. One that is learning to submit to the Lord, learning to surrender to the Lord, learning to follow the Lord, and one is choosing not to follow the Lord. That is oblivious. Like the days of Noah. You remember Noah when, when they were going to the ark. There were eight that went into the ark. And there came a point in time and the door of the ark was closed Noah didn't pull like a pulley and a rope and pull the door shut. No, God shut the door. There's a time in this world that the door is going to shut, and God will shut the door when man comes to that point of no return, and this judgment's going to fall. The judgment will fall first upon Israel. We'll talk about that. And then the unbelieving world. So when he begins in verse 1, he says, Now as to the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need. Why? Why? Because Paul was teaching the whole counsel of God's Word. He didn't hold anything back that was good. He wasn't just popping over here, popping over here, popping over there. He gave them the whole counsel of God's Word, and that's what you and I need. And sometimes I'm in texts that I don't want to really teach. When I get into 2 Thessalonians, there's a passage. I don't like it, I'm going to tell you. Because as I understand that passage, God will send a deluding spirit upon those who do not like the light. They do not want salvation. They've rejected truth. So he's going to send a deluding spirit upon those. That means a lying spirit. They'll believe what is false. And it and if I understand that right when we get there, and I'm not going to go any further on this after this thought, is that there are some that have heard the gospel prior to this time. God says, okay, if you decide you want to believe, I'm going to give you a lie that you will believe so you don't have to believe the truth. And the reason I don't like that is I have friends that are unsaved, that I love dearly. And if I'm right, as I believe that the text is saying, if they don't receive Jesus Christ before that time, they do not see Jesus Christ in my life, in your life, in the life of others, and then pick up that Bible and read and say, God, if you're real, reveal yourself, then he will harden their hearts. Just like the time of Pharaoh. But Paul taught the counsel of God's word. To this church, was he there three weeks, three months? People argue all the time. To teach the end times in three months, that's a lot. It was necessary. 
It was needful. And it was important. And Paul held nothing back that was good for them. Notice with me in Daniel 2, 21, it says, It is he who changes the times and the seasons or epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge of men of understanding. God's in control of these seasons. A simple way of understanding these seasons and times, their point in times is basically what's that. There is a time appointed that this judgment will come. And man's chance, man's opportunity is now. In fact, Matthew, look at Matthew 24, verse 3. And he was sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately and said, tell us when these things will happen. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? There are three questions that they ask in Matthew 24. Very important, even to help us understand our text today. Because when we understand the Bible, we need to understand the whole Bible. If you're going to understand 1 Thessalonians, you have to understand what they were thinking. They were going by the temple and Jesus says, all these things are going to be destroyed. So they ask the question, tell us when these things were happening. The destruction in 70 AD of, again, the temple. Now those amillennials, postmillennials, believe that Matthew 24, Jesus coming in the clouds and every eye will see him, has happened. Believe me, if every eye saw Jesus in 70 AD, don't you think that would be recorded in Secular history, if every eye saw him. But it's not. The second question they ask, coming from their point of mind, where we're looking at the Eastern mind, looking at something that was written 2,000 years ago, they ask the next question, what will be the sign of your coming? They didn't know about the rapture. When we get again into 2 Thessalonians in January, we're going to see this idea, the lies, the deceit. The manipulators of the people. So they were looking for a second coming. And the third question is, and the end of the age. See, they knew he was there. They knew that he was coming back because he said it. But they were also wanting this age to end. And what were they expecting? This age as they knew it was going to come to the end. And that millennial kingdom would begin. Where Jesus Christ will rule and reign. The lion will lay with the lamb child next to the hole of a serpent will not be hurt. So we have to understand, what did they mean to them? They were expecting him to come. Look in Acts chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. So when they come together, they were asking him, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? See, it's all about Israel. To fulfill the promises given to Israel that were given to Abraham. This is what they were looking for. And he said to them, it's not for you to know, again, the times, the seasons, which the Father has fixed in his own authority. It, it speaks of his sovereignty. And then back in Mark 13, 32, Jesus said, but the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, nor the Father alone. This is not talking about the rapture. This is talking about the second coming. And when we get a little more into a text, when I can develop it more, we'll, we'll talk about it more. So Paul's following the same line of teaching when he comes again to 1 Thessalonians that Jesus followed when he was on earth. The reason Paul said these times and seasons, you have no need of anything to be written to you, because he was sharing the whole counsel of God's word. 
you and I can take any passage we want of the Bible and make it say what we want to say and tell someone. But we've got to let the Bible tell us what it's saying or we'll be seriously out of balance. Look at Acts 20, verse 27. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. God's purpose and plan. See, we can uh, say it another way. We want to know the author's intent. The author had an intent on warning us and preparing us for his imminent return. That he could come at any time. And, and that may be 100 years. I don't understand that. But every generation was looking for him to come at any time. 1 John chapter 3, we've talked about it before. It's a purifying doctrine when you're looking for Jesus. If you thought Jesus is coming today, wouldn't you have your house in order? See, that's really the idea that he wants us to be. Have our house in order. Well, the Lord revealed many details, you know, concerning the prophet, his return, but he never revealed the day or the hour. But isn't it amazing that many people set dates all the time? Last fall, every fall especially, one date after another. Sadly, they foolishly try to fix a day when God says, no one knows the hour or the time. Waste all their energy focused on something that God doesn't want them to know. It's not what we don't know in here that's the problem. It's what you and I know in here that you and I aren't doing that God would have us do. Would you agree with that? Because some of us, I'm going to say for myself, sometimes I don't like what it says. But it's God's word. And God, in his love, wants the best for you. And as we grow in that love and grace, we realize, God, I understand now. I understand now. God wants us to, to live with this constant anticipation that he can come now. I've shared it before, but I, I can't help it. I, I love the story of a, a missionary lady that when I got saved, that first come into my life. And, and it was like every day she'd rub her hands together. Lord, what is it today? She'd get on an airplane. Lord, who is it I get to talk to today? That's the life that you and I are to live. A life of praise. A life of anticipation. Exciting life. Because it's more than you and I could ever imagine. Look at verse 2 in our text. For you yourselves know full well. Again, notice in verse 2, we also have that suddenness of destruction for the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. We see a similar thing in 2 Peter 3.10. Notice what it says. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away, a roar in the elements will be destroyed in intense heat and the earth and its works will be all burned up. And it's, this place is not going to be a pleasant place, but there will be a, a new earth and a new heaven that is without sin, without corruption. Something that God planned before the foundation of the world for you and me. So when we talk about this day of the Lord, what is the day of the Lord? How long is this day of the Lord? And the one thing I want you to understand about the day of the Lord first is the day of the Lord 
is a time that Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning, and he reigns with a scepter. He reigns with a rod of iron. That, that sounds like he still has to keep people in line. When Satan is bound, he's ruling and reigning. He's in control. Now, going back to the millennialist and the, the post-millennialist, and one of the theories is he is ruling and reigning from heaven. He's ruling and reigning in the believer's heart. I have no problem with that. And the whole world is going to be Christianized. I don't see that in the Bible. But I do see it's going to get worse. Well, this day of the Lord covers actually 1,000 in seven years, approximately, don't quote me. The reason I say that, because there's seven years of tribulation, three and a half years of the great tribulation, and a 1,000-year millennium, where Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning. David, King David, is raised up, will be ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ. I don't fully understand that. But he's still ruling with a rod of iron, because there's still rebellion in a world where Satan is put in the pit and they can't blame it. Satan made me do it. This will be a time that God will reveal his sovereignty directly here on earth where people will see him acting, living out as he is from the heavens. I like what John Wolvern said. The day of the Lord is a period of time in which God will deal with the wicked man directly, dramatically, in fearful judgment. Today a man will be a, a blasphemer of God, an atheist, and denounce God and teach bad doctrine. Seemingly God does nothing about it. But there is a day designated in the scripture, the day of the Lord is coming when God will punish sin. And he will deal with the wrath and judgment with a Christ-rejecting world. One thing we are sure of, that God, in his own way, will bring every soul to judgment. Now, who's going to help? Let me clarify this. Every person that rejects Jesus Christ is not because they're this or that, they're an idolater, adulterer, immoral of any kind. That isn't what sends a person to hell. The only thing that sends a person to hell is a rejection of Jesus Christ. People need Jesus. When Jesus comes into the life, Jesus changes them from the inside out. Notice what a fee, or excuse me, Isaiah 2, 10 and 12 says, Enter the rock. Hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. The proud look of a man will be abased and the loftiness of a man will be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted in the day. For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty, against everyone who is lifted up, that he may be abased. Again in Isaiah 13, verse 6 through 11. Wail! For the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will fall limp. Every man's heart will melt. They will be terrified. The pains, the anguish will take a hold of them. They will writhe like a, a woman in labor. 
They will look at one another in astonishment, their faces aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. It's cruel with fury and burning anger. To make the land a desolation, he will exterminate his sinners from, from it. For the stars of the heaven, the constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be darkened when it rises. The moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked of its iniquity. And I will also put it into the arrogance, the proud, the base, the haughtiness. Again in Zephaniah. Near is the great day of the Lord. Near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord in its warning cries out bitterly. A day of wrath is that day. A day of trouble, of distress. A day of destruction and desolation. A day of darkness and a day of gloom. A day of darkness and thick darkness. The day of trumpet, the battle cry against the fortified cities in the high corner of the towers. In Malachi 4.1, Behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant evildoer will be chaff. And the day of coming will set them ablaze, and says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root or branch. And then Joel 2.1, Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm, my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. I'm going to stop there just for a moment. There is always warning before wrath. Israel was very aware of all these prophets, all of these words, and they did what was right in their own eyes, like the book of Judges. I imagine you know that too. You probably did that in your own life. I remember when I was a kid, I wanted to do something so bad and I knew I was going to get a spanking. And I had to, you know, I can't really compare them, but the idea is, well, is the spanking worse or going and doing what, what? And I weighed it. People are weighing it, but they don't understand how bad it's going to be. Jude, in the New Testament, it goes on and says this. It was also about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied. Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all, to convict all the ungodly, all the ungodly deeds which have been done in ungodly way, and all the harsh things which the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are the grumblers. Gosh, I hate that. I, you know, sometimes I grumble. And I read that in there, you know. These things should speak to us. Back to the text. I'm sorry. Side note. These are grumbling. You know, it does. It's, it's meant to speak to our hearts. And God's, you know, remember the passage in Jude? And you're grumbling now? No. But it's different. But no grumbling. These are grumblers finding fault. Following after their own lust. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining advantage. Revelation 1.7 says this, Behold, he's coming in the clouds. Every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him, all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. Matthew 24.22, talking along the same line, unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect in those days, will be cut short. Is there any elect here today? Your hand should go up. That's the hand. 
there are, the church is elect, there are elect angels, and Israel is elect. And sometimes that's where people get confused because they see them the elect, but somebody else not the elect. And he's talking about in that day. This event was, is known what was called the wrath of the Lamb. It's so terrible that men will even beg to die. Hide me under the rocks. Hebrews 10.31 says this. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. It's a fearful thing. See, God's power is, is, is awesome. His punishment is terrible. His words just give us a glimpse of the holiness of God. God must judge sin. He's sovereign. His power is unlimited. He does what he promises he'll do. When God says it, he means it. And these things will come true. Look at verse 3. We see the deception of the destruction. It's there. While they were saying peace, safety, then destruction will come upon them. And suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with a child, and they will not escape. Now here we're going to begin and focus a little more on who goes through the tribulation and who not go through the tribulation. Again, it's he's speaking when he speaks to you. He's speaking to the believers. He's speaking to the Thessalonians. He's speaking to disciples down in every generation, we understand. But notice again in verse 3, he says, while they are saying, this is, these are the ones that are going to go through this judgment, they're saying peace and safety. You know what's scary? Sometimes the church is saying peace and safety. Now certainly we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Certainly we can have times of peace. But there is no peace apart from Jesus Christ. He is our peace. So they say peace and safety, then destruction will come. Notice again upon them. So if you have a pencil, underline that word them or highlight it or they who's going through it. And it will come upon them suddenly like labor pains of a woman with a child. And they will not escape. But the believer, no, they're kept from this. But this is the unbeliever. See, the world is crying out for peace and safety at, at all costs. They'll sacrifice all their rights at everything. They'll give everything up. So at some point, there will be this one world leader who will make this peace agreement. Now, I don't think there's a person here who doesn't want peace. The peace I want is from Jesus Christ, our King of Peace. There's peace talks, there's peace accords, but there's no peace. Never been peace here. Let me ask you a question. Don't chuckle, don't give me stink eye. Do you have peace in your marriage? Sometimes there's not always peace in the marriage. We're human beings. We're sinful people. One day, he'll finish the work in all of us. And we're learning to submit to him. Nations are at war. People are dying. Innocent people are dying and should grieve our hearts. Isaiah 57, 20 and 21 says, But the wicked are like the tossing of sea. For it cannot be quiet. Its waters toss up refuge in mud. There is no peace, says my God, for they're wicked. 
See, this is what God is going to pour out his wrath upon this Christ-rejecting world. The very things they do show that they reject Jesus Christ. When you and I came to Christ, there was a peace that began to flood our hearts. We learned to, to be very careful to pick and choose our battles wisely. We've decided, many of us, it's, it's not always important to, to be right. Sometimes just to turn the other cheek. Just let things work out. Let God work it out. I don't need to change the world. The only thing that can change this world is Jesus Christ. And our responsibility is to bring people to Jesus Christ. I'd like to share an illustration. I read this story of a man in Texas. Uh, he went to the grocery store to shop, and when he got out of his car, he mistakenly left his keys in the ignition. When he came out of the store, the, the car was gone, and he contacted the police, and when he got home, he threw a fit about the depraved human nature, seeing how bad people really are, but when he got up the next morning, his car was sitting in the driveway. It was washed, it was cleaned. There was a note taped to the steering wheel. The note read, Dear Sir, I'm sorry for taking your car. It was a dire emergency. Please accept my apology. I, I filled your car with gas. I've enclosed two tickets for the Dallas Cowboys. The guy was ecstatic. He just couldn't get over it. That night, him and his wife had went to the ball game. When they returned, got, ho uh, got home, they had the shock of their life. Their house had been burglarized. Uh, it was cleaned out. The burglar had made a copy of the house key uh, before he returned the car keys. That's the way the thief works. You don't get a note from the thief saying, tomorrow night I'm going to come and empty your house. Like that man, we're pretty naive to the world. It ought not be. We know the world's going to get worse, but, but the way that you and I live our life can impact people, encourage people. When they see the gospel in us, when we speak the gospel, God can use that to open their hearts. The end of verse 3, it says, and they will not escape. That's the unbelieving world. Hebrews 2, 3, and 4 says this. How will we escape if we neglect a great salvation? After it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who had heard. God also testifying with them both signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. If a person neglects salvation, they're in serious trouble. This should grieve our hearts, moving us to want to tell others about Jesus, to live before them, to look for opportunities, to springboard, not to preach on a box, not to cram it down their throat, to simply love them into the kingdom. Now, talking about God's heart, this is important to understand. We've, we saw the horror of the, the day of the Lord, and I only got a little bit in this short time. But this tells us about the very heart of God. Ezekiel thirty three eleven, and say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, 
but rather that the wicked would turn from their way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? Now certainly he's talking about Israel in that context, but in the same way he's concerned about every person in this world. He finds no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. Now where I started, one of the things is, this time of the day, the Lord is so evil, so horrible that's going to happen. There shouldn't be one person in this world, no matter what they've done, that we should want to see go through it. What we should want is that they would confess and repent their sins and have Jesus come into their heart. We have no right to judge anyone. We are to bring the warning in a loving way. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15 says this, And then I saw a great white throne in him who sat upon it, and from whose presence the earth had fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great, the small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. The dead were judged from the things in which were written in the book according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which was in them, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged. And every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and this is the second death, the lake of the fire. If anyone's name is not written in the book of life, he is thrown in the lake of fire. Now, I want to call your attention to two things. If a person has not received Jesus Christ, his name won't be here. And the things they do, when it's talking about the wicked things they did, they're judging, there are different levels of judgment. God is a just God, a righteous God. Verse 4 says this, But you, brethren, are not of the darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. You are the sons of light, the sons of day, and we are the night. We are not of the night or the darkness. Then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Now it's important to understand again, but you, brethren, he's speaking to the believers. See, our life is not of darkness. And he's, he's going to compare darkness to light. Light means illumination understanding people are in darkness they're in evil darkness and night symbolize this alienation it's a separation from god they do not know god they're in ignorance of god in fact romans 1 21 says this for even though they knew god they did not honor him as god or give thanks but they became futile in their speculations and foolish in their own hearts so they can know him in an outright, but they don't know him in a personal, intimate way. Light and day symbolize a, a closeness. You're, you're a child of God. You're a child of light. You, you know God. You, you walk in his light as he walks in light. Because you have understanding. He's opened your hearts up. Luke 16, 8 says this, And his master praised the unrighteous manager, because he acted shrewdly, for the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind, the sons of light. See, and again, the sons of light are, are believers. 
The people, again, the, the ones in darkness, they're shrewd. There's a difference in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, light shine out of darkness. It is the one who has shown in their hearts to give light and the knowledge of the glory of God to the face of Christ. The, the, again, the sons of light and the, and the sons of day. It's a, a, a Semitic idiom that is used. And it's understand all over, again, the Arab countries, anywhere in the east. Look again at verse 7, for those who sleep do their sleeping in the night. They're, they're in darkness is what he's saying. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Now, it's not wrong to drink, but it is wrong to be drunk. There's a difference. It may not be wise to drink. Some people can't drink. Do you know what I mean by that? Because they don't know when to stop. And they choose not to. Verse 8, he goes on, but since we, again the believer are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith, love, and the helmet of hope of salvation. The imagery comes back again from the Old Testament, Isaiah 59, 17. In verse 9, it goes on, for God has not destined us, the believer, but for, for wrath, but obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together to be with him so he shows those that are not destined for wrath or the believer but the unbeliever the one that rejects jesus christ is the one that's going to go through this time we have a message of hope a message of love now in the book of revelation chapter 3 verse 10 he says something and i, I love it it says because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from an hour of testing, an hour which is about to come upon the whole earth of the world to test those who dwell upon the earth. Now, it's interesting when you talk about this, this hour of testing, an hour is not a literal hour, it's symbolic when you follow the whole passage. It's something that's going to come upon. He's talking about this tribulation, this day of the Lord that's coming upon the whole world that has never happened. He keeps his believers from that and then in verse 11 notice what it says and i'm coming quickly hold fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown he who overcomes i will make him a pillar in the temple of my god and he will not go out from it anymore and i will write upon him the name of my god the name of the city of my god the new jerusalem which comes down from heaven from my god and my new name he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. If you have come this morning, come prepared. The Old Testament, when they would come to the temple, when they come to the tabernacle, they were supposed to bring fresh, crushed olives. That oil represents the Holy Spirit. It meant that you're to come prepared to to meet with the Lord. If you have come, prepare, prepared your heart. You, you begin last night. You, you begin this morning. Lord, I want to hear from you. Remove the distractions. He's saying, hear. He's speaking to you. There's someone in your life that you want to see coming in the kingdom. And I've known people, they have a hard time telling someone about Jesus Christ. If they do not hear and someone does not tell them, they will never come into that kingdom. They may go through that day of the Lord or they'll go through that judgment that we saw that it was in Revelation chapter 20, that final judgment. 
it's important that you and I respond. We have that assurance we're not going to go through that wrath. And God finds no pleasure in, in what's going to happen. Shouldn't we tell others? Shouldn't we seize the opportunities? One day I want to do a, a kind of a class on springboarding. I love springboarding. Do you know what I mean, springboarding? This week I talked to a guy and he had a name Noah. Didn't he want to talk to me? But his parents obviously gave him that name. They liked it. We don't know if they're Christian. But sometimes you, there's so many ways that you can share with people. You ever notice it rains in Hilo? Yeah, you, you got that. And, and sometimes I've seen rainbows. The gas station one day, I, 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 I said to someone, I said, you know, every time I see that rainbow, I'm just reminded God's promise. He'll never destroy the world again. You can make an impact upon someone. Judy and I ran into a, a gal that works at a gas station. I don't want to quote it right now, but we ran into her the other day having a meal. And she says, every time you came in to the place, I felt like I was having church. I still don't go to church. But you can make an impact upon someone. One person sows a seed, another person waters. That's what we're called to do, to go and make disciples. Yeah, we're kept from that wrath. But we don't want to see anybody go through it. They need Jesus because if they had Jesus, their life would change. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that even it's difficult sometimes, we have to deal with things we don't want to deal with, but yet, Lord, we learn your heart. We come to know you through this. We come to know what's important to you and, and what's not important to you. And Lord, we do see a world that's lost. We do know that there's a judgment coming. We do know that you're coming again. And we don't know the hour, the time, but we know that, Lord, we're safe and secure in you. Stir us, motivate us to be the people that you'd have us be. In Jesus' name, amen.